to start at the very first sermon, but instead we're going to wrap it up. And that is the topic of the Father's great love. And to jump into this topic today, we're going to look at uh, two words that express the love of God, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. We're going to begin with the story of Exodus chapter 34, where in the days of Moses, he has come down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments in his arms and seen the partying and seen the, the people worshiping around the golden idol. And y'all know the story. He took those tablets and he threw them down and shattered them because he was so angry that the people who had just received God's commandments had so quickly turned away from all of them, it, like in three weeks or something. And so he's got to pick up the pieces. Moses gets some, no, some new stone tablets, but in the mix of his prayer time, he's talking with the Father, and the Father says, you know what, Moses, I just don't know. These folks, they're so stiff-necked, they're so hard-hearted, they're so rebellious, I just I don't know if I can go with them any further. So Moses kind of uh, says, well, well, God, you know we've got a good relationship going on, right? And, and so, Father, um, could you just show yourself, at least to me, if not to these stubborn people, show yourself in a powerful way, in a deep way to me, and because and, I want to know you as close as I can get. So the Lord says, okay, I'll do that. And as he does that, the Lord reveals the heart of who he is to Moses. And this is how the story goes as we pick up in verse 5. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with Moses and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. Lord, he said, if I have found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me and for me? Lord Jesus, help us and help me not forget how much you love us. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. And Lord, may your deep love be revealed to us and in each and every heart today. For there is no greater gift we can receive. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all, this occasion in Exodus is one of the high and holy moments in all of Scripture. Here Jesus, excuse me, here Moses has a face-to-face -face meeting with the creator of the universe. 
And in that meeting, God reveals more of his nature, more of who he is and how he is and how he uh, lives among us than at any other time. And what he shares here, he will share, will be shared over and over and over again throughout the scripture story. He begins by sharing the heart of his name. The Lord, the Lord, the gracious and compassionate God. Now, whenever you're reading your Bible and you get to the word capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is God's divine name. In Hebrew, it would be Y-H-W-H. Now, that we don't know exactly how to pronounce it because the Jewish people wouldn't pronounce it. It was so holy. But every time you see that in Scripture, it is the name I am. And in that name, oftentimes our mispronunciation of it is Jehovah. And Jehovah is, it's a German mispronunciation of God's divine name. But as with God revealing his name in this moment, he reveals the depth of his character. And the character he reveals is the character, I think, of a heavenly father who loves us. And so today we're going to be looking at God's love in these verses and also God's love in the New Testament. Two words, key words, to live out and embrace and understand in our experience with the living God. The first word we're going to look at today is the Old Testament word that we find here translated the love of God, maintaining love to thousands that you find in verse 6 and 7. That word in the Hebrew is chesed. I know it sounds like I just coughed. Chesed. Uh, it's one of the most unique uh, words in all the Old Testament. Now, the Hebrews also had another word for love. It was their primary word for love, and that word was ahav. Ahav. And ahav would later be translated in the Old Testament, and later it's picked up on by the Christian community in the New Testament, is the word agape in the Greek. Agape. Right? But the word chesed is different than agape. And so we're going to be looking at both because they're both keys to understanding how God as a Heavenly Father loves us. In this first word, hesed, we see the nature of God. The word hesed is a covenant word. It's a word that describes the Creator's relationship with those He chooses, those He enters into a special relationship with. God is a covenant-making God. He, he builds relationships, and with those relationships come parameters and come guidelines so that you know how to walk rightly in that relationship. And so in this word chesed, it's a covenant-making word, and it means the kind of love that is merciful and gracious and kind and faithful. It's like everything is packed into this one word, and it's packed so much so that it takes all these verses to unpack God's chesed. The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, 
slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, some translations maintaining love to thousands of generations, and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. This picture is a picture of the nature of God's chesed. What I want you to see today, in terms of me wanting to be a, a, a faithful dad or a better dad, some of the characteristics here that I want to emulate and follow. One is to, to be the kind of dad that loves consistently, that my kids can know dad loves them. It's going to be a love that's filled with mercy and compassion. Hopefully, most of the time, it's a love that's slow to get angry, that can stay calm in tough situations or when things don't go right in the day. It's a love that abounds for thousands of generations. It's a love that never ends or never fails. It's a love that keeps its promises. It's a love you can depend on. This is the chesed quality. And it's a love like we talked about last week. It's a love that in moments disciplines us for our good so that we can come back to the way of love and right living. And that's what those last verses are all about. It's not about punishing as much as it is about bringing people back into the fold. It's about having justice and tough love in moments when it's needed to help us grow out of our bad habits. This is the picture of the love of God who later on in the Old Testament will be described more and more as a father. This is the kind of love God has for us. But that's not the only kind of love. We see in the New Testament another word for love. It's the word that in the Old Testament was related to the word ahav, that other word describing the love of God. And what's interesting with this, uh, as I was kind of digging into it, is the word agape was picked up by the writers of the Old Testament um, in about 400 B.C., uh, Greek was like the lingua franca, lingua frank, franca of the whole world, right? Like it was like English is today. And so 70 Jewish scholars got together to take the Hebrew scriptures and turn them into Greek. And when they began turning them into Greek, they, they came upon the word ahav in the Hebrew, and they were like, what, what word are we going to use in the Greek that will help us get the idea of this love to, to everybody. And the favorite word in the Greek world at that time was the word eros, where we get the word erotic, the passionate, uh, mushy-gushy feelings of love. Like, you know, if, uh, if Shakespeare was going to write a sonnet in Greek, he would have used the word eros to describe that love uh, of, of a couple. But not only that, if uh, Plato 
or Aristotle were describing sort of the aspirations of a love that is intoxicating or, or a love that is passionate or a love that, that, uh, that is, gives us a sense of the ecstasy of life. They would use the word eros. Uh, agape, on the other hand, was not used a whole lot. It was more the kind of love that gives, the kind of love that loves others by attitude and action. And it just wasn't very popular. You never had philosophical debates about agape. But yet these Hebrew scholars, when they had to choose a word picture to describe love to the Greek world, they didn't choose eros. They chose agape. And in choosing agape, when Jesus comes on the scene, he jumps on the bandwagon and shows us the way of agape to love our neighbor as ourself, to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our enemies even, and begins to transform even the way Jewish people understood the kind of love that he was talking about. And we have no greater example of this kind of love uh, described than in 1 John. And so I want to read for you today 1 John's letter, which was written to a church that was struggling with believing that God really loved them. Have you ever struggled to believe if God really loves you? Well, if you have, 1 John is one of the best places you can go. Because this is what John wrote to them and writes to us. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us, that he sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. And this is how we know that we live in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his son to be the Savior of the world. So if anyone acknowledges Jesus as the Son of God, God lives in him and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. You see, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Here, 
in these verses. I, I should have counted them up. I didn't. But agape is mentioned probably 10, 15 times. Probably 10 or 15 times. And in this, there are some things that we learn about the love of a father in this. The first is, is that God is the very definition of love. God is love. Now, the reverse is not true. Love is not God. Because if we flip it around, right, we can then make God impersonal, not someone we can have a relationship with. We keep it personal. We're guided to keep it personal that there is a living God we can know and encounter and experience. And by very definition, his nature is agape love. Now I turn back to George MacDonald to help us with this. George MacDonald just has one of the best theologies of the fatherhood of God of any that I know of. And he talks about this by asking the question for us, what is the deepest component in God's character? And this is what he shares. Is it his power? No, for power could not make him what we mean when we say God. Being whose essence was only power would be such a negation of the divine that no righteous worship could be offered him. His service would be only fear. God himself, whom we love, could not be righteous were he not something deeper and better still than we generally mean by the word righteous. But alas, how little can language truly say? In a word, God is love. Love is the deepest depth, the essence of his nature, at the root of all his being. Love is the heart and hand of his creation. It is the right to create and his power to create. But it is out of that love that he does create. His perfection is his love. All his divine rights, his power, his justice, his righteousness, his mercy, his fatherhood, every divine attribute we think to ascribe to him rests upon his love. God's love is what he is. Ah, he is not only the great monarch, the Almighty, the powerful, the ruler of heaven and earth. He is all that, of course, and more. And the more is the essence of his being, the foundation out of which flows everything else. The simplest peasant loving his cow is more divine than any monarch whose monarchy is his glory. I wish Vladimir Putin would listen to that phrase. The simplest peasant loving his cow is more divine than any monarch whose monarchy is his glory. Truly God is love, and love is that which is and was and shall be forevermore. Boundless, unconditional, self-existent, creative. God is all in all, and in him love evermore breaks forth anew into fresh personality. In every new consciousness, in every new child of the one creating Father, in every burning heart, in everything that hopes and fears and is, love is the creative presence, the center, the source of life, yea, life itself, yea, God himself. God is love. But that's not all. The second thing we learn is that it is God who initiates 
loving you and me. God is the initiator of love. As it says here, we love. Why? Because he loved us first. Brothers and sisters, in our world today, we have a love problem. Too many of us think, I am not worthy of love. I don't deserve to be loved. I'm not good enough to be loved. And because we cannot love ourselves, it makes it very hard, if not impossible, to love our families, to love our neighbors, or to love our friends. You see, what John talks about here is there must begin a process, and that process starts with the divine. That God, our Heavenly Father, has to love us first. And then, as we open our heart to that love, as we let it, as Paul writes, pour the love of God into our heart, as God pours the love in, we begin to love ourselves, maybe for the first time in all our lives. And as that love is poured in, we can then, it becomes easier to pour out what God pours in. But if there's nothing there, there's nothing to love. And so God initiates the love relationship. God in this love is, his love is sacrificial. Three times, John writes, Jesus sent, excuse me, God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. God sent Jesus to be the savior of the world. God sent Jesus to be the one in whom we live life. So how do we enter into this relationship of love? Well, John writes and tells us clearly, trust in Jesus. That's the foundation. If you just trust in Jesus, then love is there for you and for me and for all of us. It's already there. The relationship is there. We just have to open our hearts to it. And this love comes into us through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. He says here, we know God's love because of the Spirit He has given us. And in the midst of all this, we uh, begin to grow in God's love until that love becomes complete or perfect. God's love wants to be complete and perfect in your heart, in my heart, and life. And we can recognize when that love is growing in us. We can recognize when we experience that love in deep ways. I can think when my first real experience of this love, I mean, I could say, you know, when, when mom was uh, taking care of me when I was sick, or maybe when dad was cooking breakfast for me bright and early on a school morning, but probably my best experience of that early love was on a choir tour with our youth group. We were down in Panama City together. We were coming back from the beach, about five or six of us, teenage boys and girls, probably about 16, 17 years old. We were locked arm in arms, and we were kind of skipping home, dancing, singing, just enjoying life and the chance to be together. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit kind of came over me and said, Chris, this is my heart of love. 
for you and the world. This is what it's all about. This is life to the full right here. If you could encapsulate this and put it in a pill, you know, you'd make trillions of dollars. And I'd experienced it in that moment. I could also think when I was in college and went through a very dry spell where I, I didn't feel love much at all. But after several months, I began reading Paul's letter to the Ephesians, another great book on the deep love that the Father has for us. And I was just chewing on a few verses a day, and each day more and more of God's love began to soften my heart. Until finally I got to the third chapter where Paul prays, I pray that you may know the love of the Messiah in all its height, in all its depth, in all its width, in all its breadth. This is a love that surpasses understanding. It surpasses knowledge. We just can't get a grip on it. But it's real, and it's for you. It's a love to be experienced. And when this love, brothers and sisters, grows and becomes perfect in our heart and life, we begin to recognize that. Because the fear we hold on to, the fear that we're not worthy of love, the fear that, you know, I'm going to die and God's going to be mad at me. The fear of judgment and justice and just all that stuff. When your heart is transformed by love, that fear goes away. Amen? And we become less and less afraid of dying, less and less afraid of death, more realizing that the only thing that means is I'm going to be in the heart of my Father for all eternity. And boy, being in the heart of love for all eternity, that sounds pretty darn good. Actually, a lot better than being around here. <laughs> this is the picture of agape love that John gives us. And then he shares, last of all, that as God pours this love in, then Jesus expects us to pour it out. It's not to be kept just for us, but it's to be showered and shown to every human being we meet. It doesn't matter what their skin color is. It doesn't matter what their religion is. It doesn't matter whether they've been in jail or in prison. It doesn't matter whether they've got tattoos all over their body or gauges in their ears or, you know, whatever, wherever, whatever hair color. It means that there is a person made in the image of God, and we are called... As that love grows in us, we want to see that love be received in them too. You see, brothers and sisters, God has a name for all of us. And it's mentioned here in the NIV, but NIV translates this really horribly. I'm sorry. I know they were doing the best they could, but, but they could have done much better. They translate it, dear friends. Uh, they translate it twice. It's not dear friends. It's beloved. Beloved. One who is loved. One who is loved. You are God's beloved. In this, the great theologian, Catholic theologian, Henri Nouwen, in his book, Life of the Beloved, talks about 
how we wrestle with this idea. Are we beloved or not? He says, first of all, you have to keep unmasking the world about you for what it is. It's manipulative, controlling, power-hungry, and in the long run, destructive. The world tells you many lies about who you are, and you simply have to be realistic enough to remind yourself of this. Every time you feel hurt, or offended, or rejected, you have to dare to say to yourself, these feelings, strong as they may be, are not telling me the truth about myself. The truth, even though I cannot feel it right now, is that I am the chosen child of God, precious in God's eyes, called the beloved from all eternity, and held safe in an everlasting belief. Brothers and sisters, we were made to be loved by our perfect Father. And it's in that love that as we mimic that love, we can love like He loves us. And we can love our children that way. For our kids, learning to love them with steadfastness, loyalty, a commitment to try to keep our promises, having a strong foundation that they are cared for. But love them also agape, unconditionally, loving them first, whether they can love us back or not. Loving them in a way that helps them not be afraid or not fearful for losing our love. One of the most harmful things we could ever tell our kids is, well, if you do that, I'm not going to love you. That's one of the most brutal things we could ever say because that's not who we are to be. Instead, we are to be the people who God loved first, the beloved children of God. So brothers and sisters today, Do you know you're loved? Deep down, have you experienced the love of God? One of the best things the Methodist Church has ever done to help in this process has been a retreat. You know, you can put your life in places where you increase your chance of encountering the love of God. And for us as Methodists, one of those great places is the walk to Emmaus. It's a great four-day weekend. We haven't had a chance to do it in several years because of COVID, but hopefully that's coming to an end because I know of nothing more life-transforming than to say yes to the love of the Father. And so it's in that name that I call you what you are. You're beloved. You're beloved. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, I pray for us today. Soften our hearts like the Israelites of old. Have mercy on us in forgiveness. And help crack what's inside of us that shields us from letting you love us. 
Instead, I pray today that everyone who hears this and encounters this message may begin to seek and hunger and try to take steps to open their heart anew that they may know that they are beloved. You have made them with your own two hands. And we are made with the glory of eternity, where there is no fear, but only life abundant and love forever. In Jesus' name we pray.